Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. One of the problems that you see with Biden and the policies that he has both uh, pursued and is currently uh, shifting toward is he has a lunatic left wing dominated party. It's no longer the fringe. As I say, they're the vanguard. They're the they're the center and the frontline troops of the Democrat movement. They've gone insane. You know, they. The people that are obsessed with pronouns, the people that want all the statues torn down and the people that think that cops are bad and, you know, the open borders are good. And you go down this list and Biden needs them. He needs them mobilized for him. And so you have some of these transactional decisions that if you actually believed what Joe Biden was saying back in 2020, it would be a huge shock to you. You know, I'm a uniter and I'm a moderate and good old Uncle Joe and all this stuff. It's all nonsense or Grandpa Joe. It's nonsense. Uh, and Clay, the latest example of this, I mean, the border, it, the reason the Democrats have the problems they do at the border now, and again, they chose this. It's not a surprise, but the reason they made these decisions is uh, twofold. One, the left wing of the Democrat Party or the left wing Democrat Party uh, feels that America uh, should be transformed and that we have a duty to take in as many uh people from all over the world who come here illegally as want to um so there's a belief component of it and then there's also just the cold hard politics of changing the electorate and having more people who are going to be dependent on the state because state dependency in much of the rest of the world is what people seek unfortunately america with its notions of independence i know we have a larger welfare state here than we should or than many of us want to, to have but the notions of independence are unique to this country. I mean, you, you don't you don't even see it in other countries. This idea that the government has to back off and leave us alone everywhere else. They're just figuring out how they can run up bigger and bigger public debt to build a more massive welfare state um, until it completely collapses their economy into dust as a lesson there. But, Clay, on the natural gas issue, I don't know if there's other than the gender this is actually an interesting question. I'll, I'll, I want to get to the question of um, who you think is the craziest component that's politically meaningful of the Democrat coalition. Uh, the, the gender stuff, you know, with all the transgenderism and the sort of gender identity politics tie for me. But in some ways, I think the climate people are the most insane. Uh, I think you can make a a real case that the climate climate change lunatics are you know, they're the one they're blocking traffic and they're doing all this insane stuff. So Biden has weighed in this is the near uh, from the Washington Post in favor of climate activists fighting new fossil fuel development, pausing approval of new liquefied nas- natural gas projects because of their danger to the planet. This is just raising the price of energy for everybody. This is just making America poorer, making things get built and move around more slowly. And it is. All just a concession to the emotionally unstable climate change libs. And he's doing it in an election year because some of them write big checks and he needs them. 
He's doing an election year also, Buck, because gas prices have come back to enough of an extent that he doesn't feel like he's going to pay a political price on energy, at least right now. Uh, now, we'll see what happens with gas prices. They typically rise in the summer as everybody gets back out on the roads and everything else. We'll see whether that ends up being the case and whether there's a uh, a race back to try to get people uh, to get the gas prices to come back down. But this is one of the things where I look around and I, I, I it, it doesn't even rank in the top 20 things that I worry about. If you if you told me where does where there there are do you worry things, about it at all? Though I mean, is there any? I have zero anxiety about this. I mean, there are other building, things that the left is really freaked out about that I'll be like, I mean, that's a little bit of a problem. I could to me, this is a zero problem. There is no yeah. problem. I'm building a beach house, so if I were worried about rising sea levels, uh, I would not be investing right. the money that I am to and build. And from a what beach I understand, house. your climate footprint in this house is not going to be super small. <laughs> It Just is throwing not, that out there. It is not going to be. I am not diminishing uh, the uh, the amount of. Uh, I, I get you know this is this is one of the things that that drives my wife crazy. I refuse to recycle anything. I think that recycling in general is the biggest boondoggle, and it's mostly that, bad for. It's actually mostly bad for the environment. You and I, by the way, are totally. I've been this way forever. People think that I'm nuts. And over time, they all come over to my side because they read. Because that's all I do all the time is read and do this show. And when you read about recycling, you realize it is garbage. I it literally. Um, and I, uh, I, you know, we have the everybody probably has a recycling bin at their house or whatever. And you're supposed to put what it, the amount of energy that is spent on recyclable materials is more than if you just put it in a regular garbage, right? So there are, uh, no, I don't worry about it at all. I, I have zero concern about global warming. And I think, uh, I think you said a while ago that global warming is a religion for people that don't believe in religion, right? That they have just bought into this idea that this is their purpose in life is to ensure that, and, and, and I mean, I just look at the history of the planet. We have gone through so many different cycles of warming and cooling. And you know what didn't get any attention either, Buck, by the way? All the people who died from the cold weather that just happened in my home state of Tennessee. You know how every time there's a, and it's awful, but every time there's a tornado that comes through or there's a hurricane that comes through, it's front page article. It says, well, this is a result of global warming. This is why people are dying because of there's more hurricanes yeah. and there's more tornadoes and everything else. The The truth of the matter is, and this almost gets no attention, a warming planet will actually cause less people to die. You know, the cold kills way more people than the heat does. And no one ever talks about it. Again, if the planet is warming, a warming planet will actually lead to fewer climate-related deaths than we have right now, and cold kills far more people than heat. Overwhelmingly, like this is scientific fact, and you never hear, by and large, anything about people who die in cold. I think I'm correct that over 30 people died of cold-related, ice-related issues in my home state of Tennessee when we had this crazy cold snap, the coldest snap that we've had in decades, that shut down schools for a week. People couldn't get out of their house. There's there's ice everywhere. Doesn't get hardly any attention. But four people get killed by a tornado. It basically is everywhere. And again, the data reflects that this is going to be um, uh, long term. Colder colder weather climates kill far more people than warmer. And I I just never hear anything about it. So I have zero concern I mean, about it. But this is indicative as you said of biden just giving political gifts to people who are obsessed with a danger that isn't even to me worthy of concern at all relative to some of the other issues that are out there i mean it's a continuous um problem that we see but whenever you have a policy that is pursued uh, a government policy that is pursued with a religious zeal that does not allow contrary, this was certainly true of COVID, by the way, but doesn't allow contrary information to factor in. Um, 
you run into huge problems. I've, I've talked about this book uh, that I read y- years ago, actually, and it's dense. It's not like the most fun read, but it's by James Scott, Seeing Like a State, How Certain Schemes to Improve the Human Condition Have Failed. And he just takes you through case after case, Clay, of the, the super smart government people got together and they decided we're going to all plant our trees this way. Because this is the smart way to plant trees. They didn't talk to people that actually plant trees. They just said this is the smart way, according to the government people. And then they realized that they don't have the biodiversity they need, and they get you know one crop gets completely wiped out by certain beetles and or one strain of tree. They just create a disaster. They've done this with almost all environmental policy when you dig into it, right? Not with all conservation. You know, sometimes hey, we're losing all the manatees. Manatees are cute. We should keep them alive. Let's stop killing manatees. Conservation efforts can work, but environmental policy that is, and I'm I'm very much in favor of conservation. But environmental policy that is top down, especially in the energy realm. I mean, biofuels, for example, biofuels. If you actually look at it and what it's done around the world, it. They're inefficient. They can't be transported in the same kinds of pipelines. They cause all kinds of massive uh, slash and burn farming because they're trying to get the biofuel to a certain level where they can sell it for the government subsidized price. It's a disaster. It sounds like a good idea, but in practice, it's terrible. Natural gas is cleaner and better than oil gasoline which is cleaner and better than coal which is you know more efficient and better than take it all the way back to whale oil we are moving in a decarbonized direction by technology and prosperity and they keep trying to screw it up also energy demand is there so if we don't produce more energy it actually just puts more money in the pocket of our chief adversaries Iran makes more money. Venezuela, who has been a mess, makes more money. Russia makes more money. The best way to curtail the economic power of our chief adversaries, many of whom are reliant upon the money they make Mm. off energy, is for us to produce more because it undercuts their margin and puts more money in our pocket instead. Their economies, as we have figured out the hard way with Russia... Remember, we're on this show. We're talking to the Biden people are saying they're going to bring the Russian economy to its knees. They said that. You don't ever forget that. The the smartest people in this Biden regime said that they were going to make Russia feel the pain economically for its invasion of Ukraine. Russia has laughed at them. It has done nothing. Russian economy is fine. I mean, it's done a little bit, but nothing that's going to change anyone's mind about anything. Uh, but I'm telling you, the, a- anytime anyone wants to just really realize how how silly government policy can be look at look at all these different environmental mandates and all the, you know the the whole thing about recycling um I'm sorry recycling i could we could do a whole shows on recycling it's i hate it so much i've always i've hated it since i was a kid because this just makes no sense all that plastic you're recycling most of it just ends up sent to third world countries and then it's put in their oceans and rivers by the way so it goes into the eventually it finds its way into the ocean anyway and plastic is actually highly durable highly useful um paper when they want to switch to paper bags when you look at the cost of what it does to trees and actually how much heavier it is clay so for transport purposes it seems like who would care it's a lot heavier than plastic bags so you burn a lot more fuel moving this stuff around the world the net be- the net benefits of this are almost non-existent if you can identify them at all and how many years are we going paper or plastic pa- here in the free and, state of Florida, not to mention we have that paper bags. tears and doesn't actually allow you to easily care thing, carry things, right? Anybody who's come out of a grocery store. Clay, they won't to- give you bags in New York anymore. They won't. You have to, like, bring your own bag in a lot of these grocery stores because we're trying to save the planet. These people are lunatics. All right. I, I got something else to tell everybody. The Buckster's got a, got a whole new game in town, my friends. He's got some skills that you may not have known about. I'm sitting here. I'm looking at my prize picks app right now. Novak Djokovic, I went less uh, in the match versus Sinner because I knew Sinner was going to be in Fuego. Daniil Medvedev, this is tennis, everybody. I went more. So I didn't just go two less or two more. I went more because I knew that was going to be a fiery match with Zverev, these two Russian guys who hate each other. Bam, Clay. Two Double for win. Two. Double win on the tennis side. Look at this. I'm just sitting here saying ka-ching, ka-ching, 
with my prize picks app. So yeah, for basketball and football and all those, you know, big American sports, you listen to Mr. Clay Travis over here with his picks. Oh, you're going to give us yours later in the show, right? You Last get segment right of the show, I will give you winners at prize picks for the AFC and NFC championship games being played on Sunday. But I, I can tell you right now, if you're looking for somebody to help you with your picks on tennis, uh, badminton, tiddlywings, perhaps, I'm your guy. The Prize Picks app is honestly so much fun. If you love playing fantasy sports, it'll let you take it to the next level. Uh, you just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection. I'm doing it every week now. Sometimes I follow Clay when it's football because, yes, he knows about the football. Uh, but on the tennis stuff, I do it my own way. You can turn $10 into $1,000 in just a few taps. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy platform with injury insurance as well. So you stay in the game even if a player goes down. Seven million sports fans have signed up for Prize Picks. Join me, join Clay. It's a lot of fun. Prize Picks will match your first deposit of up to a hundred dollars. Just download the Prize Picks app and use code Buck. That's code Buck on the Prize Pick app. Prize Picks app. Download it today. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know... Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Fun Friday. I promise I'm going to hit some of these. Deluged with you guys on remakes that were worthy of being remade and even better than the original. Um, I'm not talking about sequels, by the way, just because we got some of those. Obviously, sequels... Godfather Part 2, Godfather Part 1, really, really good. A lot of people pretend Godfather Part 3 didn't happen, but not sequels. I'm talking about originals that were later remade. Uh, we'll talk about that some. A couple of things that, that I want to update. The state of Texas, Governor Greg Abbott, evidently now doubling and tripling down on security at the southern border as we speak. Fox News is reporting that they are increasing the amount of razor wire and the obstacles that would allow any illegal immigrant to enter, raising the stakes for Joe Biden uh, as the decision of the Fifth Circuit and the powers of the president versus a governor 
are still being litigated in our federal court system. So I just want to kind of put that on your horizon. We will update you if by chance there is any additional action that occurs there or certainly any sort of confrontation that could occur between federal authorities and state authorities at our southern border. But, Buck, I wanted to update everybody on the lawfare that is underway against President Trump because a couple of things happened that I thought was interesting. You guys know out there I'm an old man and I read the physical print newspaper. And I meant to mention this yesterday. New York Times editorial page, Buck, calling for uh, a, a writer on the editorial page, not the editorial page uh, itself, but a writer on the editorial page saying that Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade in Georgia needed to step down and remove themselves from that case. I thought that was pretty significant, that they would even publish that editorial, uh, arguing that Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade do not have the ability. Nathan Wade is her paramour, her uh, mister, the lover that she hired, that they do not have the ability to continue on the case. And if that were to happen... She has had to previously step down from a prosecution of the lieutenant governor in Georgia. And, Buck, it's been 18 months, and nothing basically has happened in that case. So if she were to step down along with Nathan Wade, the whole case would be thrown into an uproar. I've already told you on here, on this show, that my opinion is that the Georgia prosecution of Donald Trump is effectively over. Uh, But if she were stepping down that would be significant because it would basically acknowledge that in many ways. And the fact that the New York Times is writing an editorial that they published yesterday in the uh, Thursday edition of the program saying as much and encouraging her to step down is, I think, significant. Also, today, Wall Street Journal and the New York Times both had articles telling their readers something that we have been telling you, our listeners, for a substantial period of time now, That is that the odds of there being very many completed or any completed trials uh, of Donald Trump by the time that the election happens, a little over nine months from now, is becoming increasingly unlikely. And I actually thought the New York Times has a big graphic that it's laying out, Buck. And they said something, this first time I've seen anybody else write this, we told you a few days ago, at least, maybe it was last week, that... I actually think the Alvin Bragg case in New York City, the bookkeeping felony, is now going to be the first case that is brought against Trump. And it may be the only case that is brought against Trump from a criminal perspective. And I think that is bad for Democrats because it's both the weakest case and the most clearly political of all of them. I still think it would get tossed on appeal But the fact that that might be the only bite at the criminal apple that they get is really, really significant. Now, they might be able to start the Jack Smith case, but I don't think they could start that till after July 4th. The the timing and the math on that becomes very difficult to get a conviction, to get any kind of significant impact. And so that's all going on. And one more little detail, credit to the state of Georgia. I want to read this and make sure that I get uh, this right on the Fannie Willis investigation. They are finally getting around on this buck. They have now come out and they are uh, there are impeachment proceedings that are being brought against Fannie Willis. Uh, Chairwoman, I'm reading from Greg Price, chairwoman of the Freedom Caucus in Georgia, has officially introduced articles of impeachment against Fannie Willis and maybe more significantly... Uh, The Georgia State Senate has voted to create a special committee to investigate Fannie Willis. I think there's a decent chance here that Fannie Willis ends up charged with crimes, Buck. So the lawfare against Trump is fascinating to play out. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is over in Georgia. It's not going to work. You can't have the lead prosecutor on such a politicized case involved in such obvious and provable misconduct, right? I mean, the fact is... It's they're going to look and see they know what the payments are. This isn't hard. And they'll be able to figure out if she was having a relationship with this guy. And even if it's not criminal, I mean, you say maybe she'll be charged with a crime. 
it still looks so bad that it's indefensible. There's there's no way to make this seem like something that's innocent or within the bounds of ethics. We already played for everybody the audio of her saying, you know, no one who works for me is going to be involved in a workplace relationship. I mean, she was really strict sounding on that one. I guess she doth protest too much. Maybe she had, uh, you know, a premonition of what was to come down the line. Uh, all of these cases against Trump, you know, m- maybe what you're seeing now, Clay, is that the strategy was, well, I guess we really said this all along. Um, they knew there were going to be uh, there were going to be problems. They weren't sure which ones they could fit in. So that's why they decided to go with all four and see what slips through the cracks and finally becomes the trial. If it's the Alvin Bragg trial in New York, uh, I-, I think the goal there is they just get they get a hostile anti-Trump jury, which, as we know, is not hard in New York City. Easier in D.C. New York does have. And remember, Trump is a son of New York. I mean, he's you know born and raised there and you know he's a longtime New Yorker. Um, easier in D.C., but still in New York, you'll get a lot of anti-Trump hatred going. I think they just want to get a felony conviction. I do not, th- you know, technical felony conviction. They're not going to try to lock him up or give him house arrest or anything like that. They'll probably say suspended sentence and a fine. And they'll do that also because, you know, then the urgency with which a, you know, the, the appeal and everything is going to have. They'll say, look, I mean, he got a, he got probation. He got a fine. Uh, uh, that's the worst outcome that I can see for Trump there. Um, and the best outcome from the Democrat perspective is, they just want to be able to say convicted felon Donald Trump. They just want to get that fact pattern established. Wherever they can do it, they'll do it, right? So even as weak as it is, and we know it's it's very it's weak and preposterous, um, I think they understand that they can't try to lock Trump into any kind of a cell or even house arrest based on this. Uh, and then the D.C. case, you know, we talked to Julie about this yesterday. There's a possibility they move that to July, right? And if they move it back into the summer, they're going to push that case through if it's done, I know you said DOJ has these guidelines, but DOJ also has guidelines not to interfere in a presidential election, right? I mean, the guidelines are going to be, I think, a secondary consideration. So we're not out of the Trump isn't out of the woods with this stuff yet, but it's a mess. And clearly they didn't know, right? They didn't know which one was going to hit. So they just threw four cases at him, plus the civil stuff, plus Eugene Carroll. It's just all out lawfare. It's artillery barrage lawfare. Let me ask you this, because you're you're a born and raised New York City guy, and I'm looking at it from the because I feel like many people don't even understand the difference between civil and criminal, and it's all just kind of a big gobbledygook of mess. And so I don't know that you get any value now because it's such a mucked up story. I, are people really going to distinguish between the Alvin Bragg, you know, payment? thing and then E. Jane Carroll and I, I just think it's all rolled together and kind of baked in, especially in New York. Well, I also I think that the defense attorney in the Alvin Bragg, uh, against the Alvin Bragg case, is in a is it going to be Alina Hava? Like, do we know who, who is? I, I'm Great sure it's question. established. I don't, I'm not sure I don't, who's I don't actually. I know who yeah. the defense lead defense attorney on that's going to be. Uh, but the defense attorney will be able to make a very clear case that as much as it's a boring bookkeeping and remember, to elevate it to a felony, this is a critical piece as well, they have to say that it's tied to the state charge is tied to an additional federal crime. Yes. So you're hiding it, at a, and, and that's a crime at a state level. Usually it would be a misdemeanor, but we're saying it's a felony because you are hiding something that's tied to a federal. They've never established or said what that federal felony is. Here's the problem they run into, though. By their logic, and this will be very clear for a jury, and you only need one person to get to a hung jury on this uh, and then have a mistrial. Um, by their logic, Trump could pay millions and millions of dollars of campaign funds to women he has had affairs with yes. to keep them quiet. And that would be, by Alvin Bragg's logic, a legitimate campaign expenditure. You cannot mandate that someone put something down as a campaign expenditure and say you cannot use campaign funds for that. So this, for anybody really with a, you know, an IQ that's higher than room temperature should be pretty obvious. I don't, or, or, or I should say anybody who's not a completely Trump deranged loon that like hates Trump, but it's New York. Who knows? I also think the idea of being able to use a federal criminal violation to up a state penalty right from a misdemeanor to a felony and remember 
every it, it other assumes case. you're guilty of the federal felony, by the way. That's the problem. There's an assumption and, and, built and, into it. And there's not even it's not even clear that that's statutorily permissible under the New York state law as a justification to elevate. But remember, Alvin Bragg is dropping felonies to misdemeanors all the time. He's almost never elevating misdemeanor to felony. So this is so transparently political that I think Trump benefits because remember, you've got the Letitia James case going on. You've got the E. Jean Carroll case going on. You've got the Alvin Bragg case going on. All three of those are New York City or state-focused prosecutions. I just think the average person out there is unable to keep track of all these different legal moving permutations and just kind of sees it all as one big collection of anti-Trump lawfare. And I think it would benefit Trump if the Alvin Bragg case ends up being maybe the only one that goes to a full verdict, regardless of whether there's any legal legitimacy to it at all, because it just creates that stew of impropriety uh, legally that I don't think gets rectified. So that is where we are, and I think it's important because the media is catching up to what we have been telling you now for months about the way that this is going to, uh, the, the, the overall timetable associated with all this. We'll talk to uh, Uncle Bill, Mr. Bill O'Reilly, about this in just a few moments because he's going to be joining us. Got a lot to discuss with him. Um, but, you know, there's some great work that I want to tell you about that's being done by the folks who run the Preborn Network of Clinics. This 17-year-old nonprofit organization is entirely dedicated to saving the lives of unborn children. The preborn clinics are in communities where the rates for abortion are highest, and they provide an alternative for pregnant mothers. The team at preborn welcomes each mother to be with unconditional support and the opportunity to have that blessed moment where the mom meets her baby with an ultrasound. Because when a mom hearing her baby's heartbeat for the first time uh, has that thought about whether I should give life to my baby or have an abortion, the chance of that baby being born is doubled. Preborn has rescued over 280,000 babies from abortion, and every day they rescue 200 babies' lives. So if you have the means, would you consider a leadership gift to save babies in a big way? Your tax-deductible donation of $5,000 will sponsor Preborn's entire network for 24 hours, helping to rescue 200 babies. Dial pound 250 to donate. Say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, say baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K. Preborn has a 100% charity rating, so you can give with confidence. Sponsored by Preborn. We're joined now by our friend Bill O'Reilly. Tons of number one best-selling books. You can go check those out everywhere. Um, and I mentioned this, the most recent, Killing the Witches, which is uh, really good. Read it myself. My parents love it. Um, and I think Oh, you mean you like this, Killing the Witches, well. which people yes. watching on the stream? I am holding it up for Uncle Bill here because I've got my copy here because I have been reading it. Uh, all right. Uh, it is really good. Bill, let's dive right into this. Trump is going to be the nominee. You and I do not believe that he's going to run against Joe Biden. There suddenly is a lot of talk about Michelle Obama. She is, if you look at the gambling markets, the third most likely. Number one is Trump. Number two is Biden. Number three is Michelle Obama. Third most likely to be elected president. You buy into the Michelle Obama hype, or do you think someone else would replace Biden? And do you still think Biden's on his way out? Yeah, there is nobody else. So uh, the Democratic Party has uh, only one option, and that would be if Michelle Obama signaled that she would accept uh, a nomination at the convention. She's not going to campaign, not going to be Super Tuesday, not going to be going to the diners, not going to be anything like that. So how it would shake down would be just like 1968, Lyndon Johnson going to serve out my term but not going to run again. This is Joe Biden who would do it. Uh, and I'm throwing all my delegates to Michelle Obama. She walks in to Chicago's convention in August, and they crown her, and that's and then she runs against Trump. So that is a scenario. Now, a lot of Democrats that I know, a pretty good connection, say that uh, Michelle's not interested, even though she has been more visible lately. That's what they say. I don't know. 
Bill, I want to ask you about the border. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, sure. It's clearly gotten more attention at the national level than it has, I think, in a while. It's a combination of things. Uh, the huge numbers now going on, call it 7 million, something like that, going to be 8 million by the end of this year. Uh, illegals pouring into the country. Now the Biden administration fighting in court for the right to take away barbed wire to make it easier for illegals to come into the country. How do you think it's an election year? They know this is they're unpopular on this one. The polls look terrible for Biden on the border. How do you think they play it? They just try to blame Republicans. What do they do? Well, the the latest play is that the Republicans won't uh, compromise on new border restrictions, and they want the issue to run in November on it. That's what Wall Street Journal said today. That's what all the uh, the corporate media is putting out there. The truth is uh, a different matter, and and people need to listen closely now to this analysis. And this is why you should go to BillOReilly.com every day, because I have a message of the day on this subject. I'm currently writing a book called Confronting the Presidents, No Spin Assessments from Washington to Biden. Every single president is going to be assessed on whether they hurt or help the country. Okay, almost finished with it. It'll be out in September. I have never seen an active policy as bad as Joe Biden's open border policy. Never in our republic's history has any sitting president done actively done something to bring so much harm to the country. Now, passively, uh, Buchanan and Pierce didn't do anything about the growing rebellion in the South before Lincoln. Prohibition was insane. Uh, the run-up to the Great Depression was crazy. But this one is a progressive tenet that Joe Biden embraced because he is not capable of thinking about unintended consequences of anything. Of anything. And now the nation is getting blasted fiscally, narcotics, you name it. And Biden sits there and fiddles just like Nero. So the press has ignored the story largely um, because what are they going to do? Say bad things about Biden? That's never going to happen for the corporate media. So most Americans who don't live down by the border, they don't know how bad this is, except in the last six months, the migrants have now come to New York City, to Chicago, to Los Angeles, and the states and cities have to pay their way. And that is bankrupting the state and local municipalities, and it will lead to tax rises that working people can't afford. That's what's happening right now. Now, the Democratic Party will just tell you, oh, it's not that bad. I mean, you heard Mayorkas. Board is secure. Um, okay, Baghdad Bob. You know, Saddam's winning. We're winning. You remember that in the year ago? Yeah, we're winning. That's exactly the same thing. But people believe what they want to believe. And Democrats who don't want Trump are going to believe whatever is put in front of them. Only hope for the nation is that independent voters say, this is madness. we got to get this president out of there. Bill, if I know you talked to Donald Trump a decent amount. Um, you've done a lot of events with him over the years. I think you have a certain amount of fondness for him. If he called you and he said, who should I pick as vice president? You think that he's not necessarily going to be running against Biden. We have a lot of conversation on this show already about who the VP should be and, and whether it even matters that much. But let's pretend that Trump asks you who his VP should be. Who would you say he should be considering? I already told him. Huckabee <laughs> Sanders, is the governor of Arkansas. Ah, and what we do you like about us on a, on a cliffhanger yeah, there for yeah. a second, Bill? So I thought, you, told, you, know. you, you said, by the way, we had a caller a while back who's probably listening right now, like just throwing his fist up in the air, uh, who said the pick's going to be Sarah Huckabee Sanders. What do you like about her? She's Arkansas's governor. She's been on this program several times. I like her, too, as well. What makes her the right choice to you? Well, with Trump, it's all about trust and not overshadowing him. So he already has a working relationship with the governor because she was in a White House communications office, and she's not the type of person that would hotshot it. Good campaigner, 
uh, came up with a very witty slogan, Team Normal versus Team Crazy. You could run with that all day long. And I think women respect her. Um, yeah, she had a lot of advantages because of her father being governor of Arkansas, but she looks to be, she's a mom, she's hardworking, she's honest. I don't see a downside to her. And when you're looking at a vice president, that's the first question. What's the downside? And the upside is that I think women who don't, in general, uh, a lot of them have, uh, you know, a dubious opinion of Donald Trump, that might reassure them a little bit. I agree with you, by the way, and we've talked about this some. I think Trump going with a female vice presidential candidate, given his challenges with women, particularly college-educated white women in the suburbs, is not a bad move at all. Um, and it's not going to hurt him, and it could actually be very beneficial. Yeah, I mean, look, comfort zone is important for a presidential ticket. So Pence was a good vice president for Trump because he was a technician and ran Indiana very well as governor. And he didn't want to overshadow Trump. And Trump listened to Pence. Um, and so now, with the demographics shifting in the favor of uh, female voters, you almost have to go with uh, a woman on the second if you're Trump. So I, to me, it's not even a tough call. Bill, uh, we're speaking to Bill O'Reilly, everybody. Killing the Witches, the latest. I've got my copy right here on the desk. Um, you can also go to BillOReilly.com for more, including his uh, message of the day. Um, and, and Bill, I, I wonder, all the legal stuff, we've been talking about this that uh, Trump has been up against, it feels like some of it certainly is slipping away. I mean, the Fonnie Willis thing, that's a disaster for the Democrats. I think everybody knows it's a disaster for Fonnie Willis, that's for sure. Uh, some of the other stuff is looking like it may be trickier on a timeline, particularly the two federal cases. Alvin Bragg may actually happen. Do you think that they somehow managed to not squeeze in a single one of these trials before the election? How do you see it playing out, given that we're here in January of 24? Sure. I mean, the appeals process almost guarantees that Trump will not be in a courtroom on a criminal beef um, before the election. So the Atlanta thing is done. All right, Fanny um, did all kinds of things that we know she did because of bank records. So there, there are allegations, and she's entitled to due process, but she did it. And uh, that is called prosecutorial misconduct. So the governor of Georgia, Kemp, should have already suspended her from the case. He's about to do that. And the attorney general should take it over because this is insane. You can't have – look, the, the key to Fannie Willis, and they can call her Fannie or whatever else, but her name is Fannie, all right, is that she sent her boyfriend, who she hired to help with the Trump prosecution, to the White House twice. Why? Yeah. That's a local beef, Fulton County. What, what's this guy doing in the White House? And that's the big story right there. Um, so Atlanta, forget it. New York, these are local beefs that the Trump lawyers will kick up to uh, federal court on a uh, his civil rights are being violated, Trump's civil rights are being violated. Because it's a foregone that Trump will lose in, in New York City because it's New York City. And if you think you, a Republican get a fair trial in New York City, you're crazy. So they'll bump it up into, you know, his rights are being violated, Trump's rights are being violated, and that'll take forever. Um, the Jack Smith special counsel, Ma-a-Lago, and uh, conspiracy on January 6th, those are very weak cases because Biden did the same thing, and the special counsel for Biden, her, Robert Hur, said, yeah, he did it, but I'm not going to do anything. Um, hello? <laughs> you know? So that really hurt Smith. And as far as the uh, the conspiracy to uh, promote the riot on January 6th, boy, that's a long shot. There's exculpatory evidence all over the place on that case. So I think Trump's got, 
you know, a 70, 75% chance of getting to election day without any kind of criminal conviction. Bill O'Reilly, check him out, BillOReilly.com. We'll talk to you again soon, and uh, go ahead and start thinking about steakhouses because Buck's going to have to buy us a, a great one as soon as uh, and I'm Michelle getting, Obama. And I'm getting an appetizer, too. Yeah, right, no Buck. doubt, me too. Shrimp cocktail's yeah, expensive, Bill, up. but for I'm, you, we'll make it happen. Thank you. <laughs> I'm running it up. All right, guys, anytime. Thanks <laughs> Thank for you. having me. Thanks. You guys know Buck and I are history nerds, proud of it. A lot of young adults out there actually don't know anything. Um, and they're not being taught anything because uh, questions about the founding fathers, patriotism, oh, America's an awful place. That's what we're all being taught. That's why Hillsdale College exists, uh, because they've been leading the way in promoting civic education. The administration and faculty at Hillsdale are groups of Americans that did learn the true history of our heritage, the good, the bad, the ugly, same group of Americans doesn't take our freedoms for granted and appreciates the sacrifices of men and women who've defended our borders, stood up for democracy when it was needed the most. You'll be able to hear one of their latest forms of education, their actual radio commercials called Constitution Minutes. These are short, clear lessons on the principles of liberty available to hear on demand at Clay and Buck for Hillsdale.com. Now more than ever, it's critical the next generation not only learns our history, but understands the importance of defending our freedoms. That's Clay and Buck for Hillsdale.com. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my from this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kevin Miller, the man himself, with us. He is senior, was senior advisor, although I feel like he still is, to President Trump and founder of the America First Legal Foundation and an expert on all things border immigration related. Uh, Stephen as you know, biggest story in the country right now, bigger focus than the primary or even the general election, although it certainly plays into the general election in a major way, is what's happening at the at the southern border. Um, first up, the the Biden administration, it feels like they're caught between a rock and a hard place because they can either clear out the razor wire and show everybody that they're the welcoming committee for illegals 
or they can back down and let Texas actually defend the state. How do you see it playing out, and what should happen here? Well, thank you, first of all, for that introduction. And as I'm sure your audience has heard by now, but just to recap, Texas invoked the Article 1, Section 10 provision allowing the state to defend itself based on Biden's violating Article 4, Section 4, which requires the federal government to protect states against invasion. So in other words, as part of joining the Union of States, the federal government agrees to protect you from invasion. If they don't, then you get to protect yourself. Pretty simple, right? That's where we are right now with Texas, because the Constitution, as has been said many times before, is not a suicide pact. So joining the Constitution means that if the president is elected who decides to have your state invaded, you don't have to sit back and take the invasion. And that's where we are right now with Texas. The, the key question to me is not just will what will happen with the razor wire, because if we're being honest, the razor wire in and of itself is a, is a delay. It's an impediment. But the smugglers and the cartels can just move the illegals over to where the razor wire isn't, right? They can just go to a place in the river where there's Border Patrol agents and just turn themselves in. They can go to federal land, federal property, port of entry, near port of entry, et cetera, just turn yourselves in. That's what this is all about, right? The Border Patrol is under orders to tear down the razor wire so the border agents can get more quickly to illegal aliens to process them for entry. They're angry about the razor wire because it slows down the resettlement process. So I think the next step here, so 25 governors have said they support Texas, and a lot of people have celebrated this fact. They are not asking enough of these governors. Great, they put out a statement saying they support Texas. Put your troops where your mouth is. If you support Texas, then send your National Guard to Texas. Because what Texas actually needs to do is develop an impedance and denial strategy, is what it's called. And that is that you have to physically block the entry of migrants, and then you have to physically take them back to the point at which they cross the border. So it's not a conventional deportation, as you or I think of it, which is a bilateral agreement between countries, right? So in other words, when, when Border Patrol normally deports a single immigrant, they call up the host country and they say, hey, we're sending some people back. Let us know when and where, and you'll meet us there. This is something much more essential, which is you pick up the migrant, illegal alien, you put them in your Jeep, you drive them back to the point at which they last crossed. And if they come back in again, you prosecute them, you put them in jail, and then you drive them back to where they last crossed. And eventually they're going to stop trying. But that's going to require enormous manpower to do. Texas is going to need help from other states. So to me, that's the real question here. Stephen, you sent a tweet that I thought was really interesting. A lot of people inside the Biden administration are trying to say, hey, we're trying to get the courts to give us the ability to act. Uh, we need Congress to, to get involved in border security in order for us to be able to involve uh, border security. You actually said that Biden doesn't need any of that. He has the presidential powers to solve the issue at the border by himself right now. How? Yes, very simply. And this is, I think, the most straightforward way to put it. If Joe Biden signed a one-sentence executive order, the border crisis would be gone in you know, probably five to seven days. And that one-sentence executive order would simply read, I hereby direct all agencies and officers in the government to reinstate every immigration policy issued by President Trump. If you just issued that one executive order, then the border crisis would be gone in a matter of days. That's it. So this is the important point to push back on with all of the lunatics and liars out there who are saying, oh, my God, look, Republicans are blocking border security now. Republicans aren't blocking anything. Joe Biden is the leader of the invasion. The invasion ends when Joe Biden says, stop leading the invasion and start implementing border security and deportation policies, all of which he has the authority to do because – he had those policies in place on January 20th, 2021, and the first thing he did when he came into office is he ordered them all terminated and shut down. I mean, the clearest example of this I can give, and there's, of course, many examples, is 
that they are allowing millions of military-aged males into the United States traveling alone, so single adult men traveling alone. As bad as Obama was on immigration, Obama never let a single adult male into the United States as a matter of policy. I'm sure there were obviously single adult men here and there that they apprehended and let in for one particular reason or another, but these would be a rounding error against the overall flow of illegal immigration. Uh, there were obviously gotaways, but I'm talking about people that apprehended. Obama was letting in families and minors primarily, in the hundreds of thousands, but that's who he was primarily letting in. The, uh, the government has the apex of its authority, currently unrestrained even by the most liberal judges, is the ability to detain an adult male through removal. So there's, there's no restraining influence at all on the executive, 100%. So adult men crossing the border could be detained indefinitely through deportation. There's no limiting. There's no countervailing authority. There's no challenge to that. The way that with minors and children, the judiciary has messed it up in all different kinds of ways that required all the elegant solutions that Donald Trump put into place. So every single time he's releasing a military-aged man into the country, it's just because he wants a military-aged man in the country. Whole columns of foreign militaries could just walk to our border, turn themselves in, and be in Cincinnati by weekend. That's the Biden policy. And hey, hey Stephen. be shut down with one sentence order. Stephen, you know, you were comparing it to even what Barack Obama was doing, and I think this is really interesting. It's a, uh, it's a clip of Barack Obama back in 2005, and what his feelings were about the border. This is what Obama used to say before he was president and, and all the rest. Play this one, guys. 19. We all agree on the need to better secure the border and to punish employers who choose to hire illegal immigrants. Uh, you know, we are a generous and welcoming people here in the United States, but those who enter the country illegally and those who employ them disrespect the rule of law, uh, and they are showing disregard for those who are following the law. We simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked, and circumventing the line of people who are waiting patiently, diligently, and lawfully uh, to become immigrants in this country. So the uh, Obama administration, or rather Barack Obama of then, and the Democrat Party of 2005, Stephen, so they were just lying to the American people? Is that what happened? Uh, what changed? Yes and no. The, the history of the two parties on immigration is really fascinating because you go back that clip i think was from 2005 but yep. if you go back to the 90s you go back you rewind even one more decade one of the most conservative people in the whole of congress on immigration was harry reed of nevada the late harry reed who was pushing for significant changes to immigration law including the end of birthright citizenship the and then it was paul ryan who was then a legislative director who helped derail significant immigration crackdowns that were being moved through the process legislatively in the 90s. So the Democrat Party over time became increasingly radical and increasingly left the immigration. And it really accelerated significantly during the Obama years to the point at which the um, in 2013, as you remember, Obama tried to pass this giant mass amnesty and citizenship bill for all illegal aliens. But by the time Donald Trump came into office, the Democratic Party had completed its evolution into an open borders party, in which this was true in 2017 and remains true today. There's not a single deportation policy that Democrats as a party support, not one. In other words, there's not a single policy you can name that results in a single deportation that any national Democrat is willing to publicly come out and support. If you went to KJP, Karine Jean-Pierre, at the White House press podium, or even Kirby, or any of those people, and you said, I'm going to ask you a question and then give you the floor, and I'll just wait and I'll listen. So I want you to just tell me. You can list one, you can list ten. I want you to begin telling me now, list for me, the immigration policies you support that result in illegals being deported. They would not be able to say one thing, one intelligible world, one intelligible sentence. To them, border security is illegal alien processing. 
full stop. It's a, a ticket into Disneyland. That's what the border is to them. And the reason for that change is that evolution is twofold. The first, somewhat less obvious, is, is the shift of the Democratic Party to being the party of corporate interests. And there's the Republican Party shifted to being the party of working class interests. And related to that, and much more obvious than discussed, is the Democratic Party's realization that the key to their permanent political power is unchecked mass migration. And once that became clear to them that, that they, could, they could have some short-term political stumbles from their stance on immigration, but in exchange obtain permanent political power, that was the end of the transformation. And that at that point, there was no immigration restriction they supported and no immigration loosening they did not support. And that's where we are today. They are a party of open borders. And there's no parallel anywhere in the Western world. In other words, in the whole of the Western world, there's not one party that is the official dominant liberal party. You could have like, you know, obscure third and, you know, uh, and sort of fringe parties. But in terms of any system in which there's sort of a dominant party of the left, nowhere else in the whole of the Western world is there a dominant party of the left that supports no borders at all. Only in America, only the Democratic Party, only Joe Biden. It's the, it's the only in the West. It's the first in the West. That's where we are right now as a country. Stephen, could you come back? Because we're getting a lot of questions about what deportation would actually look like. And I imagine it's a fairly detailed answer. But there are, you know, let's say there's 10 million uh, illegals that uh, that are currently here. That's a low number, but let's wait, just wait, say do, there's do you 10 want million. To hold, Clay, do you just want to yeah. hold them through? Stephen, can you yeah, stay with us Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Can you come back with the next segment, Stephen? Yeah, sure thing. All right. Okay. Let's hold Stephen over because we want we'll to ask discuss. him that question about deportation in particular, which a lot of you have uh, wanted to know what that would actually entail. Yeah. What would it look like? How possible is it? But first up, world events can have an effect on our nation's economy. We've seen it happen before, not too long ago, and we're likely to see it again soon enough. How the value of the U.S. dollar is affected in the future is anyone's guess, though one person is stepping forward, Tika Tawari. He's a former Wall Street insider and someone who knows a thing or two about the economy. He's put his thoughts into a new video that is now online. Tika will share his research findings and his thoughts for the future and how it might affect you and me. He'll also share with you the three steps he thinks you need to take to be best prepared for what could happen if the U.S. dollar gets hit hard. Go to MoveYourCashNow.com to see it free of charge. That's MoveYourCashNow.com, paid for by Palm Beach Research Group. we got Stephen Miller with us right now, and I wanted to hold him over. I appreciate him being flexible on this. Stephen, there are, let's say there's 20 million, let's say there's 15 million illegal immigrants in this country right now. Almost none of them are being deported. Trump wins. You're in charge. He says, get these guys out of the country. How does it happen? How reasonable and expected of uh, a result would it be to think that millions of people can be deported? Is it possible? What does it look like? Oh, it'll absolutely happen. So if if President Trump is returned to the Oval Office, and if I am given any kind of opportunity or honor to be part of the immigration enforcement program, then what we would do next is fairly straightforward. I think we've talked about this some before, but first and foremost, you have to address the personnel and resource problem. So ICE is actually a relatively understaffed agency, particularly the number of deportation officers is quite slim. There's only 6,000 deportation officers. So you need to pool first from every single federal law enforcement agency within DHS and within DOJ. By the way, a very good way to find out at FBI real fast who's mission aligned and who's not is how much grumbling there is when you send the FBI to carry out deportations. You'll find out real quick who with the FBI is on your team and who's not. Uh, when it comes time to say, new mission guys, you're going to go start removing illegal aliens from the country. But you get all your federal law enforcement engaged in the mission. Then you use state national guards. So again, these 25 states, a great example. You go to these 25 governors. Of course, you can federalize the national guard if you need to. But hopefully a lot of these governors would voluntarily lend national guards. And then you create areas of operation. So you put the national guards together, say, in the southeastern parts of the country. You have teams that are led by veteran ICE officers and that you use the National Guard to then supplement. So if they need to block off 
a street to prevent an escape from a gang member, if they need to provide additional trucks, vans, anything, additional personnel, whatever it is, you have all these National Guard units. And then you have state and local law enforcement who, of course, have experience actually putting cuffs on people, actually dealing with people who are resisting arrest. And I've heard horror stories you can't imagine about what it's like to arrest a fugitive gang member. I mean, they, they scratch and they kick and they claw and they bite. I've seen photos you never want to see. Um, so you need to have people who are experienced in actually getting cuffs onto people who are fighting back. And then you, on top of all of that, you need to have a place to put all these people while they're awaiting removal. So you have to build, and this is where the military also comes in, you have DOD work with DHS to build compliant facilities to stage people who are waiting outbound flights. And this then is what allows you to be able to fight back various legal challenges so that, you know, if somebody tries to fight their deportation, they're going to be understanding they're fighting your deportation, not from the comfort of your own home. You're fighting your deportation from a federally created staging ground at or near the border. And then you have planes, both DHS planes, charter planes, military planes that are taking off on a regular basis. You just keep sending planes, and everybody you can get home, you get home. People that are get caught up in the legal system, you're going to detain them during Steve, that whole time period. Stephen, we only got we about 20 seconds. Just Can I ask you real quick, um, as you're telling us this process, yeah, sorry, how many Steve. year one could President Trump deport under this framework? How many total people do you think? I don't want to put a think? number on it. I would just say it this way. Here's your soundbite for today, gentlemen. Donald Trump goes back in the White House with God as my witness you are going to see millions of people rapidly removed from this country who have no right to be here. All right. That's a good soundbite that would make a lot of people very, very happy. Thank you, Stephen Miller. Does fantastic work. Hopefully he gets the opportunity to make that happen because it's something that needs to occur. Thank you for the time. Stephen, we'll talk to you again soon. Uh, I want to tell you, you need to save some money. How many of you out there would like to save $1,000? Uh, big difference, right? At the end of the year, what could a thousand extra dollars in your pocket mean? Well, that's what Pure Talk does. They do incredible job with phenomenal coverage for half the price of the other guys. Unlimited plans starting at just 20 bucks a month. The average size family out there can save almost a thousand dollars a year. And as a veteran owned company, Pure Talk is a company you can feel proud to do business with. Their customer service team, 100% U.S. based, best in the business. Dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck to join your fellow Americans. Make the switch right now. Dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck. Save an additional 50% off your first month with Pure Talk. That's pound 250. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 